Hello everyone, this is Lindsay Dowd and I'm delighted to welcome you to our next Link Group podcast. This is actually the second one which we've recorded remotely during the lockdown. With continued volatility in global markets, a situation which unfortunately looks set to stay, at least in the short to medium term, we thought it would be timely to look at the implications of the current economic situation on M&A and other corporate action activity. What trends are we seeing? What types of deals are still going ahead or on hold? And to what extent are previously agreed deals perhaps subject to renegotiation or restructuring? Can the past experiences of 2008 and 9 point to certain trends which might emerge? And are concerns that equity markets are not actually trading to reflect the full impact of the current challenges influencing the structure of corporate transactions? Well, I'm delighted to be joined today by Kit Atkinson. Kit is Head of Capital Markets in Link Group's Corporate Services Division. And I'm going to hopefully explore with you, Kit, what's next for capital markets. So welcome. Hi, Lindsay. Good to be here. Um, So to kick off, really just thinking whether the challenges we're seeing, um, I think we're all wondering, are they going to result in an economic setback or will it actually be a catalyst for change? And um, I thought perhaps if we just start by exploring what effects are you actually seeing in the industry um, of the current crisis and what impacts are anticipated on IPOs and other corporate actions? Sure. So um, I think a lot of what we're seeing so far have been fairly predictable. I think a lot of projects um, across um, IPO, um, IPO markets have been placed on hold. What we are seeing is a number of inquiries around cash shells, um, particularly offshore structures, potentially gearing up for a future acquisition spree, um, obviously looking to acquire some distressed assets potentially over the, the course of the next year or so. In terms of broader IPO activity, most transactions have been put on hold. Obviously, people's financial circumstances now are materially different to where they were just a few months ago. So at the very least, their equity story, their their, um, their views of how their business will develop over the next few years will need to change materially. In terms of M&A, transactions that are suitably advanced are, are progressing. You know, we've seen some turbulence around the Mossbros acquisition with the crew clothing founder or owner um, looking to try and withdraw his offer, but a, a decision pending with the, the, the PTM there. I think you know, most, tra- most of those transactions will complete, although some, in some cases the timetable will have taken a hit. But um, yeah, we're, we're, we're quite hopeful for next year in terms of people taking advantage of perhaps lower prices, lower valuations, distressed assets. So um, you know, th- th- there's opportunity on both sides there to, to come out of this crisis with um, leaner businesses and more cohesive equity stories. Interesting. And in terms of past experiences, we obviously alluded earlier, we, took, we, um, we saw something fairly similar in terms of a downturn in 2008 and 2009. Does that point to certain trends which we might see emerging again, or are we really in a different space uh, this time around? I guess easiest to characterise as a same but different. You know, businesses are still going through very challenging times. They're going to have to raise funds in a lot of cases, been described as a race to recapitalise. Many businesses will have to go through that exercise. I think 
you know, two key differences this time round. Firstly, the banks are in a much better condition. So there are alternatives in some cases to equity finance. Some businesses clearly are continuing to do well. We're seeing traditional defensive sectors still continuing to deliver as we'd expect to in any economic downturn. Food retail, tobacco, healthcare, things like that are still delivering. Um, And we've seen that reflected in our recent dividend monitor as well. These are the businesses that continue to pay their dividends. For those businesses that do need to raise capital, we're in the first stage of that process so far. Um, Those businesses that perhaps need to raise smaller amounts of capital, and by smaller, I don't mean smaller in absolute terms, but smaller relative to their market cap. So we're seeing seeing fundraisers of... And less than 20% at the moment conducted on an accelerated book build basis, whereby essentially their institutional placings completed within 24 hours. What we're expecting to see over the coming months is the larger fundraisers where people need to raise more than 20% of their issued share capital. And, and that needs to be done through a, um, with the production of a prospectus and through a rights issue or an open offer. And that very much follows the pattern of 2009, where it was really the middle of 2009, where you know, eight months after Lehman's Brothers fell, that we, um, we started to see those large preemptive offerings um, come to market. It needs to be noted, and most of our clients will be aware, that obviously the preemption group have relaxed their guidelines on a temporary basis until September. So companies can now look to raise up to 20% of their issue share capital through non-preemptive means. Um, and that's up from either 5 or 10%, depending on the circumstances, as was the case previously. That's interesting. And I guess um, looking at the, at the, um, the preemptive offering structure in particular, it's important for companies with employee share schemes to make sure they, they check their scheme rules and, um, and their uh, agreements that might be associated with the scheme rules to see what they need to do for option adjustments and also to ensure where people are holding hold shares um, that they can participate on the same terms as, as other shareholders. So it's just, just something to uh, be aware of for, for share plans. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, there's a number of impacts of doing a, uh, or a number of considerations for doing a non-preemptive or a preemptive offering, sorry. I mean, early engagement with your advisors is absolutely key. Um, clearly, they'll have been through this before. Many will have been through 2009 and the extraordinary times we saw then. Um, they will hold your hand through this. And it, there is a real advantage to being early to market we all expect to see an element of investor fatigue towards the end of the year. If as many companies as are rumoured come to market with large fundraisers, then there is going to be an element of exhaustion by the end of the year. So I think those companies that come to market early will get more attention from investors, probably achieve um, better pricing for their fundraise. Um, and, and the other thing to consider is that there will be a bottleneck somewhere along the line. You know, there is only so many preemptive offerings, prospectuses that regulators, advisors, registrars can manage at one go. So I, I think there's a number of advantages to really getting this done as quickly as possible. Of course, what's most important is having that 
um, story to tell investors, that plan for how you deal with the world after COVID-19. How does your business plan have to adjust? How do you maintain or return to profitability after lockdown? These are are key issues. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself very quickly in the sort of rescue rights issue situation, which is going to lead to bigger discounts, a more challenging situation. Be on the front foot, have that story and that plan in place. Absolutely. And I think that actually takes us uh, neatly on to to my next question for you, actually, Kate, which is, what do you think the future will look like once lockdown does uh, cease, hopefully, and businesses try to return to normal? What what will be the changes that we might expect to see? Well, we, we've had the various alphabets of, of descriptions on, on the recession, whether it's a V-shape, a U-shape or an L-shape. Um, I mean, I guess at the moment we are starting to hear talk of relaxation of lockdown rules, but I think a lot remains to be seen. You know, I think we need to see what happens in those markets that released lockdown early. Um, you know, do they see a second spike? What do we think happens come the autumn? You know, is there going to be a return of cases which leads to a second lockdown? You know, we really are into unknown territory at the moment. And with so many businesses effectively shuttered, um, it's very difficult to say. I think most people have disregarded the, um, the V-shape sharp bounce back. Um, you know, for all of the government's efforts with the furlough schemes, business loans and things like that, um, there is clearly going to be a huge economic impact here and it's going to be felt globally. So at the very best, we're looking at a U-shape, a deep U-shape recession. Um, so I think businesses need to think, particularly sectors that have been impacted particularly by this, which is you know, non-food retail, entertainment industries and things like that, need to think about what the new normal is going to be. How do we enjoy these you know, pleasures? How do we enjoy these services whilst honouring social distancing and things like that? You know, clearly, most restaurants, for example, you know, they're going to see the number of covers that they can host halve, potentially, post-lockdown. That has a material impact on their business and their business model. So, you know, each business is is going to be different, but they need to do some deep thinking about how they respond to this crisis. Um, Of course, we are not immune to that. So we're thinking about ways that we deliver our services remotely into the future. And the most obvious example of that is the delivery of general meeting services. Um, remote or hybrid general meetings, and I know we've 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 produced some material around that. Um, that's clearly going to become a new normal. And I think something you referred to earlier, which was this crisis as a catalyst for change. You know, we're all learning to work remotely. We're all going to have a very different attitude to work from home. The old um, air speech commas around work from home will probably disappear after this. We're all going to be much more accustomed to it, much more accustomed to the technology that we're using, be that remote meetings, video conferences and things like that. That's going to feed through every aspect of the way we deliver services, the way we engage with clients and, 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 and frankly, the, the, the type of services that we can offer going forward. So, of course, what we're going through at the moment is very, very challenging, very difficult. But looking to the future, there are there is the potential that this could be the catalyst for change. What we needed to drive us forward to the next stage of you know, digital service delivery. So there are some opportunities looking forward to the future as well. 
Thank you very much, Kit. That was extremely interesting. And I think ending on that note of Catalyst for Change, it's, it's a good positive note for us to end on. Um, lots of challenges out there with the economic instability, but let's hope there's, there's positives coming from this and that change is good. So... If you are a company out there, a business going through issues like these, we'd be delighted to hear from you and hear your experiences. Have you had to restructure an, an intended deal or, or, or are you going ahead and, and see the positives that may be coming through in the markets? Please do get in touch. In the meantime, everyone, please stay safe and please keep clapping our incredible NHS. Thank you.